This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tonight, if you would. Uh, we're continuing our series entitled Ecclesiology and Church Leadership. It's a brief six-week mini-series that we got going on, uh, and uh, we'll be, uh, we're on week three this week. Uh, what that means is uh, four weeks from tonight, uh, who we call will hold its first ever pastoral ordination service. Uh, Trey Williams will be uh, ordained as a pastor here at Who We Call About a Church. That's a really, really big deal. And so I want to encourage you, put that on your calendar, plan on being a part of that. Pay really close attention as we lead up into that because we're going to be talking about what that means exactly and why we do that as a church and uh, why we need pastors and what other type of leadership structure we have in the church and uh, why do we need the church, what's the importance of the church, what benefits do we get from the church, what do we get to put back into the church. All those questions and more will be answered over the next three weeks as we take a look at uh, these, uh, uh, the series that we're in uh, right now. If you missed anything so far, you can get caught up on our podcast. Also, if you have the Hui Kala app uh, at the ready on your mobile device, uh, you, the notes for you are tonight in the, uh, available to you. Uh, just click on our series that we have. Click on tonight's message, which is entitled The Body of Christ, if you're taking notes tonight, and you can fill in your notes that way. If not, just grab a sheet of paper and something to jot some thoughts down as we go through this passage of Scripture. Tonight we're taking a look at the importance of the body of Christ. What does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul uh, compares the church to a literal body. And as we take a look at this passage of scripture tonight, uh, we'll see why every single one of us are super important to the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start in verse number 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse number 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we've all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it not therefore of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not of the eye, I'm not of the body, is there therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, then where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, then where is the smelling? Now God hath set members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, but were, were, where were the body? But now there are many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked. There should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one of the other. Whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or if one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. As we take a 
at the church and while we compare the body of Christ, which is us, the church, to a physical body, it's important to understand that the inside the body, everyone has a role that they perform. Now, it's important to understand that when it comes to the body, who is the head? Somebody help me. Jesus Christ is the head. Uh, no getting around that. And, and the body can, look, your body can live without an appendix. Your body can't live without a head. Your body can live without a, a pinky finger on your right hand. The body cannot live without a head. So let's just make this clear from the get-go tonight. If Jesus Christ is not the head of a church, that is not a church, okay? Christ has to be the head. Uh, Christ has to be Lord over a church. And at any point that Christ is not the head of the church, that is no longer a church, it's also important to note that as we look at being a part of the body of Christ, and uh, tonight we might get into some, some difficult waters, maybe if you will, when we talk about the body of Christ, uh, please understand that everything I, I share is 100% biblical and is shared in 100% love. Uh, so if you walk away from tonight saying like, oh, pastor's mad at me and that's why he did this, uh, or that's why he said that, it, it's, it's interesting to me sometimes people come up and they'll say, I felt like you were singling me out in that whole message, you were talking just to me. First of all, you think too highly of yourself. Um, I'm not gonna take an hour of everybody else's time just to talk to you. If I wanted to talk to you, you know what I would do? I'll just talk to you, as uh, simple as that. And so, again, I'm just sharing truth from the Bible. And so, uh, but again, how many of you know that the Bible many times will single out areas of our life where we need to grow? And if that's the case, I don't apologize. It's not personal. Uh, I'm just telling you what the Bible says and I wanna help you grow. But when it comes to the body of Christ, uh, again, every single one of us have a role to fulfill within the body of Christ. And let me just say this tonight. If you don't fulfill your role, then the rest of the body suffers as a result of it. You, you might think to yourself, well, I've been kind of tired this week. I think I'll, I'll skip church on Sunday. If you're not in your place, the whole body suffers as a result of it. You might say, well, I don't want to go to church on Sunday night because Sunday night's my opportunity to wind down before Monday rolls around. The whole church body suffers as a result of that. You decide, I don't really want to share my faith. That's not my thing. The whole body suffers as a result of it. I don't want to tithe or give. The whole body suffers as a result of that. And so it's important to understand that when you become a part of the body of Christ, you now contribute to the overall health of the body or the overall sickness of the body. And we should take that very, very, very seriously. I hope through this series that you'll understand, especially last week when we took a look at the history of the church and where the church has come from, and even tonight when we take a look at the benefits that we have of the church body, I hope we'll do away with the idea of church is a place where I show up, hear a message, sing some songs, and go home until next week. That The church is way bigger than that. Jesus didn't die so that you and I would have a, a place to hang out on the weekends. He died so that you and I would organize together to change the world. That's the idea behind this. And so here, here's the fact of the matter. The body cannot exist without a head. Now imagine this. You are playing the role of the right hand in the church, let's just say. You're super important. If you cut off the right hand of someone, can the body still function, yes or no? Absolutely, sure. We can do without a right hand, but guess what? Every other part of the body has to work overtime. Now the things you used to pick up with your right hand, now you have to pick up with your left hand. The things you used to be able to hold in two hands, now you're going to have to hold maybe against your chest in some way. We can function, it just makes it a lot harder for everybody else. 
if you've ever had any type of injury before, like say in your leg, and uh, maybe I had a problem uh, earlier this year with a knee pain that I was having. And, and I was able to get around it by basically shifting my weight, but what I found is I found that my hip on this side began to hurt because I'd been shifting my weight too much to the left side. And she realized, like, my knee was causing problems here, but then it caused problems in my hip. And how many of you know your hips attached to your lower back, and I began to have lower back pain, and struggle to sleep at night and get comfortable in the bed because my knee was bothering me. By the same token, when you and I fail to fulfill our role within the local church, we make it harder on everybody else, and the body as a whole suffers as a result of it. So I, I want to say from the very beginning by way of introduction tonight, first of all, God wants you to be a part of his body. Every Christian should be a part of a local New Testament church, loving, giving, serving in a local body of believers. That's biblical. That's what God expects of you. And so if you're not, you need to, to figure that out. You need to get on board. It's not a matter of like, oh, I want to pray about being a part of a church. No, it's a matter of being obedient. You should be a part of a church. And so it's a matter of like, I need to get to work and get it done. But here's the thing. When we fail in our responsibilities to the church, the body of Christ, someone else has to pick up my slack. Or the body isn't as healthy as it should be. Or the things that God wanted us to accomplish together as a church can't be accomplished because you or I maybe aren't fulfilling the roles the way that we should. And so we'll take a look at that tonight. First of all, the church is comprised of saved, baptized people committed to living for Jesus. Again, the church is a people, not a place. It's not a venue. Who we call a Baptist church is not comprised by 1216 Waimanu Street, Honolulu, Hawaii, 96814. That's where a concrete building exists with about 7,000 7, square feet of meeting space where we set up chairs, but that's just the place where the church gathers. Does that make sense? You and I are the church. This building is not the church. We might say, oh, I'm going to stop by the church in just a moment. Uh, we know what you mean, but please understand, I want to be really clear. The, the, the four walls here are not the church. You and I are the church. Seated beside you to the left and the right are the church. The people that make up this body of believers are those that have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and those that have been baptized and are committed to following after Jesus with their lives. That's what makes up the church. Now again, the church, made up of saved, baptized individuals according to Scripture, is open for other people to enjoy our worship services and to learn more about Jesus. Again, part of what we do at the Great Commission is reaching out to people. And so this morning there were people who were not saved that joined us uh, for worship services. They heard the Bible preached, they heard the gospel preached, uh, they heard us singing praise and worship uh, to God the Father. They heard us talking about the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. They heard about being saved and born again. But please make no mistake, the people that were here this morning or maybe even here this evening that are not saved or born again are not a part of the church. Now again, that sounds really, really harsh to say that. But please understand that the church is exclusive, not inclusive. Anybody who wants to be a part of the church can. They just have to be saved, born again, baptized, be willing to follow after Jesus. Anybody can be a part of that. But not just anybody can walk off the street and be a part of the church. 
Again, some churches are different in the way that they do church membership. If you've been attending for more than two weeks at some churches, you're automatically considered a church member. Uh, whether you're saved, not saved, doesn't matter. There are people who come to our church that have been serving in children's ministry in other churches for years, but were never saved, which absolutely blows my mind. I don't know how you can lead someone to a place where you're not, but evidently that was the idea behind it. So again, the church is made up of saved, baptized individuals. Anyone is welcome to come here. Anyone. But when we talk about this is what the church is going to do, we're talking about an exclusive group of people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, who have followed after him in believer's baptism, who are committed to walking with him and obeying his commandments. That's the church. Again, the, the word church, ecclesia, a called out assembly of people. That's what the definition of the church there's a really good book for those of you that, that like to read on things like this, uh, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Deaver. Uh, Mark Deaver's a, a Baptist pastor on the East Coast, I think Washington, D.C. area. I don't agree with everything he says theologically. He's very uh, uh, heavily, heavily Calvinistic, which, which our church is not. Uh, but the, the book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, is a really, really good stuff. Basically, it outlines what a healthy church actually looks like. And it's not determined by the number of people that actually show up and sit in seats. It's measured by a lot of other different metrics as well. But here's one of the things he said in the, the book that I thought was helpful. He said, we have to be careful about telling non-Christians the theological lie that in the most profound sense that they belong. In the most profound sense, they don't. And we, we, don't, we serve them if we tell them that. We, don't show, we should show unbelievers that there's something more than a horizontal community or a vague sense of God's presence in our congregation. And so again, when we say that, that everyone is welcome at Huikalo, that's a true statement. Anybody that wants to come and sit and learn, you want to be part of a small group, you can do that. We welcome that. People say, I'm not a believer. That's fine. Join us anyways for a Sunday morning service and see what you think. And, and again, uh, even the signs that we have and, and tracks that we passed on the past say, who we call it, you belong here. And the fact that we're not, we don't make a place where certain people are not welcome to walk in the front door. But when we talk about the church of Jesus Christ, unbelievers don't belong there. Unsafe people do not belong as part of the church. Look, we'll never have an unsaved guy parking cars on the, the sidewalk on a Sunday morning, ever. We'll never have ushers that are helping you find a seat that are still trying to figure out their faith, whether or not they want to follow Jesus or not. We'll never have some lady watching, watching babies in the nursery that's not a believer. That's just not what we do because the church exists to serve Jesus by serving other people. I know churches sometimes even good churches, that hire professional musicians to provide their music. Many times the professional musicians are not saved. <laughs> the fact that unsaved people could bring worship before a holy God is absolutely blasphemous. God doesn't want professional music. He wants a heart of worship from his children that he's purchased with the blood of his own son. That's what he expects. So again, when we look at belonging to the church. Again, being a member of a church, being a part of a church is really simple. Have you been saved? Yes. Have you been baptized? No, not yet. Great, we'll baptize you and then you can be a part of our church. Yes, I've been scripturally baptized. Okay, are you willing to walk with Jesus and obey him and live a life that reflects our Savior in a positive light? If the answer to that is yes, by all means, you got no reason in the world why you couldn't join who we call a Baptist church. 
I often tell people who we call is not the right church for everyone. I get it. Uh, there's certain things that people like and certain things people don't like about our church. Some people don't like our music. Some people don't like our preaching. Some people don't like the pastor. Uh, um, that's fine. Uh, our church is not a good fit for everybody. But I tell everybody that when they say, uh, we're looking for a home church, find where that is, jump in with both feet, don't ever look back. That's how, that's how it works. And so sometimes people say, like, well, we're only going to be here for three years, so we don't want to get too attached. It's like, what? We had people join our church for six weeks before. Like, hey, I'm only going to be here for six weeks, but I love what God's doing here, and I want to be a part of that, and I want to jump in and serve while I'm here. And, and so, again, when it comes down to being a part of the church, the church is an exclusive group, but the, the uh, rules for admission are very, uh, very short, I guess you could say. When it comes to being a part of the church, the church is the body of Christ. They might say, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, the body of Christ, yeah, I get that. No, I don't think many times people do. When Jesus Christ was crucified for the sins of mankind, he said, it is finished. He was placed in a borrowed tomb for three days. He arose the third day. He stayed on the earth for 40 days, and then he ascended into heaven. When he ascended, he gave us some final uh, directions. He gave us a mission we call the Great Commission, go and baptize, teach. And when he left, he no longer had an earthly body he's seated at the right hand of the father in heaven right now so get this jesus created the body of christ you and i are the body of christ so if jesus wants to show love to that barista at starbucks he has a body to show love through it's us When Jesus wants to go over and be kind to your next door neighbor, he has an avenue to do that. He does it through the body of Christ. When Jesus has a message that he wants to get to the whole world, he doesn't walk up and down the street knocking on doors saying, hey, I've got a message I'd like to share with you. He instead sends the body of Christ. And so this this is going to blow your mind. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that we're ambassadors for Christ, that God has sent you and I in Christ's stead is what it says. What that means is that instead of sending Jesus, God chose to send you instead, in Christ's stead. So Jesus could walk up and down the street being nice to people, but he's left you and I to do that for him in his stead. Jesus could go to your workplace tomorrow and pull up a chair and say, hey man, how was your weekend? Let's grab coffee this week. I'd love to, I got something I got to share with you, man. It's, it's burning a hole in my heart. I got to get it out. Jesus could do that, but he has sent his body to do that instead. So when you and I, we say that we're the body of Christ, it's like, oh, yeah, that means we get together and sing songs on the weekends. <laughs> that is not what that means. That means that Jesus wants to turn this city inside out, and he's given you and I the responsibility and the power to do that. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. The people that are hurting, the only Christ that they will see is what they see in you and I. And here's the thing that I found too. Everybody might scoff and make fun of you because you're the Christian in the workplace. You don't cuss, you don't drink, you don't go hang out. And when you go on, on, on trips, you know, you're not out partying with everybody else. They might make fun of that. But just know this, the second that grandma gets cancer and is in the hospital, they're going to come looking for you and find out, hey, can you pray for my grandmother? 
The second that things go sideways in their marriage, they're going to go to the one who they know for a fact has a solid marriage. And I'm just telling you, who is going to have the opportunity to do that but the body of Christ? That's why we'll take a look at that a little bit later. Sin can't be tolerated in the body of Christ because it pollutes the body of Christ and it makes Jesus look bad. So again, when we say that you and I are the body of Christ, that means the things that Jesus would have done physically in this world, the things he would have done spiritually as far as praying with people or sharing truth with them, you and I are left in his place to do that. And so it's Christ's body to carry out the mission of the church. So who's supposed to carry out the mission of the church? The body of Christ will. And so again, we ask ourselves, what is the mission of the church? When it comes down to the mission of the church, the mission of the church is the Great Commission. You say, Pastor, you seem to say this a lot. I'll say it until the last day that I have on planet Earth. The mission of the church is the Great Commission. And let me just tell you this. If you ever find a church where their mission is not about going, winning people to Christ, teaching them, and making disciples, you need to find a different church because they have lost their mission. And so again, four, four imperatives. Go, win, baptize, teach. That's the Great Commission summed up. We go, we, we tell people about Jesus Christ, we win them to Jesus Christ, we see them get baptized, then we teach them the Bible and teach them how to become followers of Jesus Christ. Tonight, uh, the teach portion of the Great Commission, that's what we're doing here. This morning when we go through the book of Romans and, and exposit the scriptures, that's the teach portion of the Great Commission. All week long we've been going and trying to bring people to Jesus Christ. This morning, uh, a lady with her young son came, and one of our ladies had the opportunity to open the Bible and share the gospel with her, and she was one to Jesus Christ. And again, we clapped for that, and we should clap for that. But please don't think for a split second that we're done with that job and we get to move on to the next. There's still two more steps left here. We had a lady get saved uh, on our, at our ladies' Bible study on Thursday night. Praise God for that. Guess what? We're not done with that. We're just getting started in the Great Commission. And unfortunately, you see sometimes churches have completely abandoned the Great Commission because it's too much work and people don't want to hear about that. And again, going and confronting people with the gospel is so offensive. And so they just abandon the Great Commission altogether. Or then you see other churches who only take part of the Great Commission. Man, we got people saved. Amen. We're going to bounce on to the next person. No, 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 no. We still have to teach people the Bible and what it means to be a committed follower of Christ. We still got to ask them to make a commitment to following Jesus and believers' baptism by laying down their life and saying, I'm willing to follow Jesus at all costs. And so when it comes to the mission of the church, the mission of the church is both outward focused in the fact that we want to bring people who don't yet know Jesus Christ to Jesus, but it's also inward focused in the fact that we want to take the people who already know Jesus and teach them how to take it one step further. <laughs> so again, you and I get a little bit mixed up if we think that the Great Commission is just about going in all of the world and preaching the gospel. Yes, that's part of it. But once people know the gospel and know Jesus Christ and have been born again, now it's a matter of teaching them what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And so the church reaches out by sharing the gospel and bringing people to Jesus. That's why for almost nine years now, Huicala has had gospel tracts, invitation cards on the back that have the gospel. Very rarely, maybe for our open house, we'll have big flyers that tell things about all the different events that are going on and things like that, or a a large map to the church. 
And we always encourage people, hey, this big flyer about this particular event that's coming up doesn't have the gospel on it, so take with it a gospel track and put it with it because we wouldn't want somebody to think that we just want them to come to church. Because how many of you know there's a lot of people who think, oh, I just went to church and I can check that off. I think I've been good this week. No, it's bigger than that. We want you to get to Jesus. And so the Great Commission is outward focused in the fact that we're trying to share the gospel and bring people to Jesus. And let me just say this. I say this with every ounce of love that I have in my heart for you and for this church. If you do not know how to share the gospel with another person, first of all, you're negligent. Second of all, you're hurting the body of Christ. And so I say that with 100% love. I want to help you be better. I want to help you to know the Bible. I want to help you be comfortable in sharing your faith. That's why twice a year we'll have an entire day course on how to share your faith with other people. That's why on the back table every single week of the world we have these books called Paid in Full. It's a gospel presentation. It's a really short book that you can take home and read that and get some tips and underline verses that you need to know to be able to share your faith. Look, every single week of the world, if you've been at Hui Kala for any length of time, every single Sunday morning, I share the gospel. You've broken God's law. Because of your sin against God, you're going to die and go to hell. Jesus came to pay the price for you. If you're willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved today. Repent and believe. Look, if you've been here for 52 weeks, you've heard that 52 times at least. There's a man who had attended our church for a while. Uh, his name was Jerry. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Uh, his wife was saved, uh, but he was not. Uh, they came to church, and so we went to lunch with them uh, one day, and we got into talking about things and stuff like that. And I said, hey, uh, Jerry, has there been a time in your life where you're saved or born again? He says, no, not really. And I said, well, would you be interested in knowing more about that? And he's like, no, I think I know what I'm supposed to do. It's just a matter of doing it. And I was just like, oh, Okay. And so I asked his wife if she'd been saved, and she did. She shared her testimony of how she got saved when she was in high school and uh, things like that. And so then, like, three or four weeks later, I was talking to him. I saw him at church and said, hey, Jerry, man, we, we talked about being saved a few weeks ago. Like, um, what, whatever became of that? And he's like, oh, I got saved. Oh, when? Well, we went to lunch that day. Afterwards in the parking garage, I got saved then. Like three weeks ago? Yeah. Well, Jerry, you're supposed to tell somebody. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. He was like, yeah, I thought it was, but I didn't know you want to know. No, I totally want to know. And so I asked him, did your wife share the gospel with you? And he said, no. And I said, well, how did you know what to do? And he was like, come on, pastor, you say it every single weekend. Like, I mean, like, I know what to do. It's just like, oh, okay, that's good. And so... So again, if you don't know how to share your faith, you probably just haven't been paying attention because every single week I go through this same gospel message. And so you need to know it so that you can share somebody else. And again, the invitation cards that we have on the back, all you have to do is walk someone through the scriptures. It's really, really easy. And look, you might say, well, I have a hard time memorizing verses. Okay, fine. Just tell somebody what happened to you. That's it. You take the woman at the well in John chapter 4, how much scripture do you think she knew? None. But she said, come and see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. I think I've found the Christ. I think this is Jesus. And the Bible says in that passage that many people believed on Jesus because of what he said, but many people believed on Jesus because of her testimony. She didn't know a lot of scripture. She said, hey, here's what happened to me. And so I want to encourage you, know the gospel well enough to be able to share your faith. Next, the church reaches in by teaching and maturing Christians in the faith. 
that's why again we're really going to buckle hard on down hard on this as a church I hope every person has had the opportunity to go through discipleship. If you haven't, you need to do that ASAP. But even after discipleship, the, the learning of the Bible never ends until you see Jesus face to face. And I want to be an equipping pastor that gives you tools and resources to help you to walk with Jesus, to know the Bible, to make good decisions, to, to maintain accountability, to develop a sense of community. I want to help you with all those things. And so we're going to have some books in our bookstore that deal with, uh, I, have, uh, I think, 15 copies of Systematic Theology on order. It's an outstanding book that basically lines out how we organize Scripture together and things like that. Uh, again, I would encourage you to get a, a study Bible if you don't already have one so that you can dig a little bit deeper into the Scriptures. I'd encourage you to not just read the Bible but to study the Bible. You might not have ever done that before, but you need to. Again, as we go through the book of Romans, it's going to get deep theologically in some places, and you're going to need to put on your thinking cap. I hope you're ready for that. But again, part of the Great Commission is giving you the tools and training that you need to know the Bible and to walk with Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11 says he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That means the, the maturity of the believers for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Get this, till we all come in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or mature man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God has given us people in our church to help us mature in our faith until we can be as mature as Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, uh, I think it's going to take a long I think so too. It's going to take the rest of our life. And when will, we, when will we be in the fullness of Christ? In our glorified body when we get to see him face to face. But the mission of the church is to help train Christians to know the faith. And again, I'm going to need some of you as we walk through this period of growth in our church to put on your big boy pants and your big girl pants and help people learn the Bible. I'm going to need you to invest in other people. And again, that's not going to happen all the time at, at 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night. That might happen on a Friday night at 8 o'clock at your house. That might happen on a Saturday morning at 7 a.m. at a Starbucks. But again, we got to start thinking further down the line as the body of Christ, less what can I get and more what can I give. The church provides a people and a place for corporate worship so that you and I can gather together several times in a given week to worship Jesus Christ together corporately. Again, you should be worshiping Jesus on your own at home uh, with your Bible open, with your uh, music on. Corporate worship is when we gather together worship corporately. Private worship should take place the other six days out of the week. And so again, if the only worship that you get is on a Sunday, uh, you're going to be an anemic Christian. If the only time that you're eating a meal uh, is on the weekends, you're going to starve the rest of the week, and you can't do that. The church provides a place, a people in a place for corporate prayer. Since the very beginning of who we call a Baptist church, we've been a church that prays. It, it's important to us. Our small groups, we get together, we share prayer requests, we share praises, and we spend time in prayer. You might have noticed if you're part of a small group, we probably don't have like a 45-minute Bible study, do we? No, we pray a lot more than we probably studied the Bible, and that's okay. Because we're required to be a people of prayer. 
back in the early days of Hui Kala, when we first got our keys to the building, we were starting to do work on the building. People would come over, they'd want to paint or haul off garbage or do some construction work. Every person when they came in was not allowed to report for any type of work until they first found a place in the building and prayed. She couldn't do it. You got to pray before you can work because we're a people of prayer. If you're going to the super church room and pull back the curtains there, you find a b- bunch of writings on the wall back there. You find where people had prayed and written a prayer on the wall. People who came here that many of them never even actually came to a, in a service ever. I remember our uh, very first day that we got the keys, we had these big vinyl banners we were going to hang on the, uh, uh, the building. And Levi Gillis was attending another church at the time before his family tra- uh, transferred to San Diego. Levi came by and helped us hang the banners on the building. Back in 2013, like July, August 2013. Man, somewhere on that wall is a prayer that Levi wrote that God would use this church in a mighty way. And it's just like, wow. Fast forward like what, almost nine years later, Levi and his family are here and God is using them in a mighty way in his church. Again, what you see taking place here happens because of God's people praying and so we're a church that prays. It's a priority for us. All of our men's gatherings that we have, we get together and we pray together. Ladies' Bible study get together, they pray together. It's just what we do because that's one of the things that the church provides. Next, the church provides a, a people and a place for Bible preaching and teaching. Again, you want to grow in your faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You need to be in the Bible. You need to gather together with the people of God and study the Bible, hear the Bible preached. Uh, we get the opportunity to grow together with other people. We, both, we all heard the same message this morning, and some of us had different takeaways from it because we get to grow together. That's the idea uh, behind uh, being a part of a church family. Church provides a people in a place for discipleship and continued spiritual growth. We're willing to teach you what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ and at the same time hold your feet to the fire to make sure that you actually do it. The church provides a venue for that. There's no other place in the world that's going to help you to follow Jesus the way that the local church will. The church provides fellowship. Again, I don't know of another organization on our island of Oahu that 300 people from multiple backgrounds different generation, different cultural upbringings that speak different languages can gather together and there's no drama. Everybody belongs. I don't know of another organization like that that provides fellowship. Uh, Again, a place of belonging. And again, all this is is given to us by the, the church that Jesus himself purchased. Next, godly counsel and wisdom. You need advice, you need direction, you need to know what to do in life. The church provides venues for that. Man, my calendar's wide open. You need, you need you got questions? I want to help. You need direction? I want to I give wisdom. You know, you're struggling with something? Man, I got a half dozen godly men that I trust their wisdom that I would, would send you to after you've talked to me if you don't like what I have to say. Ladies, you want to sit down with other ladies in the church? Man, I can think of a half dozen godly ladies in this church that I would, would trust with my life. And so, again, there's places for that. It's not a matter of like, oh, I don't know what to do, so I'm gonna ask my unsafe coworker what he thinks is best. No, the church provides a place for godly wisdom and, and direction and, and, again, prayer. The church provides accountability. <laughs> again, we, um, 
<laughs> had the benefit of during COVID requiring everybody to check in for their services. Nobody ever asked us to provide a sheet. And I realized after about the third week that nobody's ever going to come and ask us for a list of people that came. But we continue to have people check in and we still do to this day. You know why? Accountability. Because Sunday afternoon, you know what I do? I go to my office and I run a report of every single person that wasn't here on Sunday morning. I say, hey, why weren't they here? Are they traveling? Are they out of town? What's going on with them? I began to, to look at a list on Sunday night. Hey, show me all the people who used to attend on Sunday night that don't attend Sunday nights anymore. Is that an indication of a problem? I don't know, but I want to get to that, down to the bottom of it. If you've ever been on the receiving end of a text message from your pastor that says, hey, missed you. Is everything okay? Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Hey, maybe we should catch up and grab lunch or grab coffee. You uh, might be frustrated by that because you're like, oh, why are you, why are you trying to be in my business? I'm not trying to be in your business. I'm trying to hold you accountable. And again, one of the benefits of the body of Christ is accountability. One author said this, in joining a church, we're asking our brothers and sisters to hold us accountable for living according to what we speak with our mouths. We ask our brothers and sisters around us to encourage us, sometimes by reminding us of the ways we've seen God work in our lives, and at other times challenging us when we may, when we may be moving away from obeying Him. Church provides accountability. Hey, I, here's a fact. I need people looking out for me. I need that in my life. And again, when anybody says to himself like, well, I'm a big boy. I don't need anybody looking out for me. The Bible has a verse for that. Woe unto him that thinks he stands, he should take heed lest he fall. And a fool is, is right in his own mind. Look, you're a fool if you think that you can do this without somebody that has your back. Fool. You know, one of our men says, I used to think that accountability was for weak people until I really needed it. That's usually how it works, right? We need accountability in our life. I want to hold other people accountable, and I want them to hold me accountable. Hey, ask me how my walk with God was this week. Ask me what I read in my Bible this week. And if somebody says, what did you read in your Bible this week, Pastor? Mind your own business, man. What are you trying to say? You think I don't read my Bible? Huh? Is that what you're saying? Why would you even ask something like that? You know? Not an accusation. It's just an encouragement. So the church provides accountability. Next, the church provides community. Again, I think this goes together with fellowship. And again, one of the reasons why we have a 10-minute handshaking time at Huikala is because we want to develop a sense of community. If you've been to churches before for the, for the dreaded handshaking time, it's usually like 30, 45 seconds. Like, hey, 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 hey. Okay, we're started. We're good. Uh, and you never actually have to engage past hey. Uh, our family went on vacation um, last October to uh, Tennessee. We went to a church on a Sunday morning, uh, the First Baptist Church. And uh, we're there, and the, the pastor says, uh, I'll greet folks around you this morning, tell them you're glad they're in church. And so we're there, like, on vacation. And I turn around, and there's like four rows between me and the next guy back there. And he makes eye contact with me, and he looks away. <laughs> and so... I slide out, and I walk past there. I say, hey, man, how's it going? Uh, we're just here on vacation, man. Love your church. Glad to be here today. He's like, oh, thanks. Okay. And so, and then, oh, did you find your way back to your seat? Let's pick it up on that third verse right there. Okay, I guess we're done. Uh, and so it was awkward. And then when we left the church, nobody spoke to us. Like, we're walking past people in the parking lot, and they're making eye contact with us, and like, walking, watching us as we walk by. <laughs> hey, you know? Even the guys that were opening the doors for you when you walked out, they're like opening the door and they like look at you. I was like, hey man, thanks for doing that. And they're just like, <laughs> okay, all right. Look, 
It's not supposed to be that way. It's just not. And again, you, you really don't realize how good God's blessed you with a good Bible preaching church until you go somewhere else and the, the community's not there, the preaching's not there, uh, the warmness isn't there. You realize, hey, I think I've got something special. And so again, we want to develop a sense of community. That's one of the things that the, the church provides. Church provides uh, godly counsel and wisdom. I already covered that. Uh, edification, exhortation, re- and rebuke. These are three different ways that one can be spoken to, and we need all three of these. You got edification. These are words that build up. Hey, man, great to see you this week. I saw how you handled that situation the other day. You're doing a bang-up job. Keep up the good work. Hey, I've seen you guys for the last three weeks straight. Man, congratulations. Hey, I see your kids, whether they sit in church, they listen, pay attention, and take notes. You must be doing something right. That's edification. That's helpful. Exhortation is uh, positive, encouraging words that encourage people to, to take a step up. Hey, man, I've seen you guys for the last three w- weeks on Sunday mornings. Have you ever thought about coming on Sunday nights? I think it'd be a real help to you and your family. I know, I know we've been blessed with the Sunday evening services. That's, hey, you're doing a great job. Why don't you take it up a step? The last type of, of communication should be kind of a last resort, rebuke. Oftentimes we jump straight to rebuke when something goes wrong. Rebuke is, as long as I live, I don't ever want to hear that come out of your mouth ever again. Christians don't act that way. Christians don't do stuff like that, and you need to knock it off. And here's the thing. I am so thankful to have people in my life that can rebuke me. And I say, thank you for that. I needed to hear that. You need people like that in your life. Look, if everybody's just pumping you up and telling you how great you are, then you'll never grow as a Christian. I need, I need to be rebuked. I need people to help me. I need people to call me out when I'm wrong. And so again, this are things that the church provides. Church provides physical, emotional, and spiritual assistance. Hey, you had a tragedy in your life. I want to be there for you. I want to pray with you. I want to rally the people of our church around you to help you and encourage you and love you through this. You got, you got issues that you're facing in life. I want to help with that. You're struggling with your emotional well-being and mental health. Man, I want to help with that. I'm not a, I'm not a, a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I don't have any license or any formal training. I'm just a good friend that knows the Bible. I can love you and pray with you through that and point you back to Scripture. Man, you're struggling financially. I want to help however I can. Can't pay your bills every single month. If you're not being wise with your money, we can help you uh, get on a budget and put together a plan if you need to. Man, if you need a car to drive, man, let me know. Like, that's what the church does. Again, when we take a look at the book of Acts, these people, they, they just live together as family. And that's what, again, a healthy church does. Also, a church gives the venue for the exercise of spiritual gifts. God's gifted every single one of us uniquely according to uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans chapter 12. He's given you spiritual gifts that the day that you got saved, he flipped something in you that he expects to be used for the kingdom. And the church gives you the venue to be able to do that. Maybe you're really good at serving or maybe you're really good at providing oversight. God didn't give you that so that you could advance your career or make more money or that you could get a higher paying job. God gave you that to advance the kingdom. And the church provides a venue for that. Now, when it comes to involvement in the church, you can view it from either a consumer mindset or an investor mindset. And this is where people get really tripped up. I admit that when I was young in my faith and when Angela and I first got married, I looked at the church from a total consumer mindset. 
When we talk about being a consumer, we're talking about does this tick all the boxes for me? Did I like the music? Do I like the pastor? Was he funny enough? Was his message short enough? You know, was the fellowship time not awkward? Uh, was there plenty of parking available? Was there a program available for my kids that my kids really enjoyed? Or did they like that last church's kids program better? Because we might try that, especially if my kids like that, because you don't want your kids to grow up hating church, right? That would be terrible. So, uh, and then we begin to look at all these things that's me-focused. And we don't ask questions like, is this church doctrinally sound? Do these people preach the Bible? Are people being saved? When was the last time people got baptized in this church? What is your method for discipleship and growing Christians? We don't ask you those questions. We say, hey, I thought the service was a little bit long. Too far of a walk for me from the parking area to, to where the church is. And then we make decisions based on being a consumer. And then everything becomes about me. And then, as a consumer, all you do is consume, all you do is take. We don't actually give back anything. We don't actually put anything back into the church. We just continue to take. And so I'm glad to have people teach my kids. Don't ask me to teach nobody's kids. I'm thankful to be able to drop my kids off and have somebody watch them and keep them alive and hopefully teach them a biblically sound message. Don't ask me to do that. I'm thankful that there's nice people out there showing us where to park on a Sunday morning, but I want a good parking spot for myself. I'm not willing to do it. I'm thankful that we have a beautiful church building that God's blessed us with. I mean, can you imagine how much it costs to lease 7,000 square feet of prime real estate in the heart of Honolulu, 100 yards away from the largest outdoor shopping mall in the world? I'm thankful that we have a church like that. But don't expect me to help pay the bills. Like, I'm glad that that is provided, but I'm not going to do anything to help advance that in any way. Oh, man, praise God for all the first-time guests that we had in church last week. I didn't pass out an invite because that's not really my thing, but I'm glad that somebody did. I'm glad that people got baptized last Sunday, but I'm not doing anything to help advance the, the Great Commission. I'm glad that I'm a part of a church that does. And then what we create when we have too many Christians with a consumer mindset, and again, I praise God that that's not the heartbeat here at Huikala. But we create Christians where the church is really just all about you and about how much you like it. And, and then the worst part is, is that the people that are really doing the work behind the scenes are the only ones that are, that are pulling their weight. You know, they say the 80-20 rule that in any organization, you know, 20% of people are doing 80% of the work. I praise God that's not the case here at Huikala. It just isn't. But when things like that happen and when it's lopsided and you have people that are just takers but not givers, we create a welfare system where you don't actually have to do any work. We'll do all the work for you and you get to reap all the benefits from it. That's not how the church works at all. Never has, never will. And again, we hurt Christians when we don't call them to raise their standard of expectation for the Christian life. We do Christians a disservice when we say, hey, church is super easy. All you got to do is show up and try to stay awake and everything will be okay. No. Jesus' church goes forward on the sacrificial service of his children. That's how it moves forward. Always has, always will. Again, I gave you Fox's Book of Martyrs last week to read. You read the, the church has gone forward over the last 2,000 years by the blood of and the lives of Christians. The fact that you and I think that we can just show up on a Sunday, sit in a chair, try to stay awake and get mad because there's no coffee left, you don't understand how the church works. 
just not how it works. Never has, never will. And so when it comes to involvement in the church, we gotta make sure that we have the right mindset. An investor mindset says, hey, where can I jump in and make stuff happen? Hey, I see that we're short-staffed in the children's ministry. Can I volunteer for that? Hey, I see our, our small groups are exploding. Can I be a part of the next small group that gets started? Hey, I see that there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done around here. Can I pitch in? Hey, I see that there's some stains on the carpet. Can I come in this week on, on my day off or after I get off work one day and clean all the coffee stains that are on the carpet in the auditorium? Can I do that? That would be a blessing to me. That's a totally different mindset, isn't it? That's the mindset that Jesus Christ expects. Again, because Jesus Christ didn't come to be served. He came to serve other people. Many people want the benefits of the church without the commitment to the body of Christ. Oh, yeah, I want all these things. I just don't want to have to commit to it. And if I decide that I want to leave tomorrow, I'm going to leave because I don't really have any strings attaching me to this body here. I can come and go as I please, do what I want whenever I want, because I don't really have any commitment here. The problem with that is, is that the th- here's the bottom line. It doesn't hurt my feelings when people have little to no attachment to Jesus' church. It really doesn't. Because I know that I'm not the one that's hurt by it. It's the people who ha- lack the commitment that are hurt by it. Again, I'm not preaching a message like this tonight. And again, some people might think that this is harsh or hard. Please understand, it's 100% love from my perspective. I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. Okay? When I preach messages on tithing, it's not because the church is broke and we need to pay our bills, and so I'm going to give a capital uh, campaign on how we can raise our, our tithes by 10% over the next quarter. Look, we've never missed a bill. We'll never miss a bill as long as Jesus is in charge. We're not worried about raising money. I really just want you to be obedient because that honors the Lord, and it's, you're going to see God's blessings in your life. Never, not once in the history of our church have we made an announcement from the pulpit. We need workers in the four and fives on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. Would anybody raise their hand if they would help out in the four and fives because we really just can't get anybody and like nobody wants to show up and help. Would anybody do that? Never, ever. Why? Because people say, I want to serve. I want to be used in that area. Hey, that's not my wheelhouse. I've never done that before. I'm willing to give it a shot for a month and see if it's something that I enjoy doing. I love who we call in the fact that many times when we put out requests to our church members for help and assistance in areas of ministry, that people jump all over it. We had a child one time that had special needs in our children's ministry, and I put out an email to about 30 people and said, hey, would you be willing to help out with this? Just take a, a shift once every quarter. No lie. Out of 30 people that I sent the email to, I got like 28 responses back. Said, yes, I would love to do something like this. I had to turn people away. Why? Because... People latched on to the idea that the church goes forward as I am in my place fulfilling my role. Membership is just a voluntary submission to the body of Christ and to the leadership of a church. By being a church member, you're saying, I want to be involved in what God's doing here. I want to be a member. I want God to use my life here. Uh, I'm, I'm submitted to the authority of the pastor. You're my pastor. I trust your leadership. I want to be a part of what God's doing here. And I'm willing to, again, our core values, love, pray, give, serve, invest. This is my church. This is where I want to be. And that's a voluntary submission to that. Again, if you don't want to be a member of the church, that's fine. Nobody's going to to look down their nose at you because of it. But you're missing out on some of the blessings that God wants for your life. 
Membership is an intentional commitment. It's about saying, hey, I want to be involved. I've been saved. I've been baptized. I want to walk with Jesus. I want God to use my life to advance his kingdom. And I want to do it with this group of people here. And I want him to use my life far beyond what I can do on my own. Again, one author says, do you want to know that your new life is real? Commit yourself to a local group of saved sinners. Try to love them. Don't just do it for three weeks. Don't just do it for six months. Do it for years. And I think you'll find out, and others will too, whether or not you love God because the truth will show itself. (laughs) I often tell people, if you've never been hurt in a church before, you haven't been going to church long enough. (laughs) Because you hang around church long enough, People are going to say things that hurt your feelings. People are going to do you wrong. Decisions are going to be made that you don't like. And at some point, you got to say, hey, I just trust God and I love him and I want to be gracious and I want to be kind. Now, I'm not talking about things that are sinful or, or inappropriate or immoral or unethical. I'm talking about things that just rub you the wrong way. That you can say, hey, I'm willing to give grace. I'm willing to be kind. And there's times where people walk out of church and say, hey, good to see you. And they just walk right past me like they don't see me. It's just like, Okay, I don't take it personally. Hey, they're probably going through something rough. I'm going to circle back in a couple of days and see how they're doing. Hey, did you get a chance to chat with you on Sunday? Is everything good? I was praying for you this morning. How can I pray for you more specifically? And that's gracious. I think that's what Jesus would have done. That's what you find by being a part of some place and staying. I praise God for the people who have come to who we call it and stayed. I think it was probably... Sometime last year, I, I showed a photo of our super church kids like five years ago. And it was now the kids that were in super church on outreach with Mr. Brian, when it was just Mr. Brian, were now in our teen group. And they're still here. And their families are still here, faithfully serving Jesus. Like five years later. That's huge. Because most people get to a place and they get frustrated and they split. But I'm talking about dropping your anchor. I'm talking about putting your roots down and really growing with this group of people. Again, membership requirements really straightforward. Have you been saved? Have you been baptized? Are you willing to walk with Jesus? If the answer to those is yes, then join our church. Again, we have service opportunities. We get the opportunity to be able to serve in the church here, to be able to, to serve in aspects of ministry. Look, again, I, I, this is just the heart of your pastor for this church. You're not going to sit back there and run sound if you're not walking with Jesus. I don't need that. I don't need some carnal, angry, wicked, pathetic excuse for a backslidden Christian sitting back there moving sliders. You need to be sitting on the front row taking notes and repenting of your sin. We don't need help that bad. Hey, look, I'll go back there and press the button myself and come up here with a microphone before I let some unsaved guy or some backslidden guy back there running faders. No, no lie. You say, well, that's harsh. No, it's not. That's the holiness of the body of Christ. We're not going to have folks out there greeting people on a Sunday morning come in reeking of alcohol. You're not going to do that here at this church. This is not that kind of church. So you get service opportunities as, you, as you've committed to being saved, baptized, and walking with Jesus. You get opportunities to serve. Responsibilities of church members are to, to love, pray, give, serve, and invest. Those are our core values. That's how we advance the gospel and the Great Commission. Your, your pastor has responsibility to you, to love you, to shepherd you, to teach you, to keep you accountable, to check in on you, to love you, to serve you. 
And again, if you've never been a part of a healthy church before, you might think that the pastor's there to boss people around and tell people what to do, or he's the kind of the CEO or the, the top dog of the organization. You have misunderstood the office of a pastor. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. My job is to love you and serve you and shepherd you. That's my responsibility. And again, there have been times in my pastoring that I have failed in that. And if I'd failed you, please let me know so that I can apologize and repent because I've been negligent in my duties. By the same token, I hope if you as a, a person in this church, whether a church member or not, have been negligent in your duties, you'd be willing to repent of it as well. Again, I, I want to love you. I want to serve you. I want to walk with you through this. The church also provides, this is a benefit, but some people don't see it as a benefit, church discipline. Church discipline is one of those things that when someone is involved in sin against God, they get called out for it. And if they don't make it right, they get called out publicly for it. And if they still don't get right, we basically treat them as an unsaved person. And that's, for a lot of people, sometimes that can be a rub. I remember Angela and I had um, just got married and we had, had gone to a church and it was a Bible preaching church and she came home that night and she said, um, man, it was really weird at the end of the service. Um, you know, the pastor stood up and he said, uh, I have something I need to share with you tonight uh, so that you'll know and so that you can pray and be involved. And he said, uh, I just want you guys to know uh, that Frank has been having an affair on his wife, Judy. And I go, oh, he said that from the pulpit? And she goes, yes. And I was just like, oh, that's so wrong. She goes, no, that's the thing. He read something from Matthew chapter 18 that actually said that that was the way it was supposed to be done. And again, I didn't know a lot about the Bible, but I remember that passage. I said, well, did he say he'd already talked to the guy? He said, yeah, he talked to the guy who wasn't having it, and he'd even taken the deacons with him to talk to this guy, and the guy wasn't having it. So he came up and told the whole congregation that Frank was no longer a member of the church, and he probably wasn't even saved. Uh, and if you see Frank, you need to, to tell him that you're praying for him to repent and make things right with God. And I go, did other people hear that? And she goes, he told the whole church. And I was just like, what? I, like, my head wanted to explode. And so first thing I do, grab the Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 18. And I was just like, yes, yes, yes. Wow, that was really biblical. See, I'd never seen that before. I grew up in a church that covered up sin. That if somebody had an affair of the church and everybody knew it, the guy would generally come down to the, the altar in the morning and would, would stay, sit there for 10 minutes and weep while they played uh, Just As I Am on the organ and give him a little while to weep. And when we walk back to his seat, everybody's just like, whew, glad that one's over. <laughs> and then we just moved on. We don't really talk about it. And so if ever anybody was up at the altar crying on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, you know, you're like, oh, I guess this is their opportunity to make things right. You didn't discuss sin. But that's not biblical. You see, the body of Christ must be Holy. Holy. Holy means separate from sin. We can't tolerate sin in this church. You might say, well, well, pastor, all of us sin. Yes, I'm talking about willful rebellion against God. I know that what I'm doing is wrong, but I choose to do it anyhow. That becomes a problem. Because now you've placed yourself in a position where you've asked people to hold you accountable, and we have no other biblical option other than to hold you accountable. You see, turn over to Matthew chapter 18. I want you to see this in your Bibles. <laughs> a 
Again, this process that the church goes through of rooting out sin in the body of Christ, we refer to it as church discipline. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 15. Just three verses, but really straightforward. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church, if you neglect to hear the church, let him be as to the as a heathen man and as a publican. Let him treat him like an unsaved person. So here's the process: when a member rebels against God and opens sin, we go to that person. Now, in the history of our church, how many times have we gone to step one in church discipline? I've lost count. Literally dozens. And again, the hope, according to this is that when someone is confronted with their sin, you've gained a brother. That as a result of this, they say, wow, thanks for sharing that with me. I, I felt really badly about that, and I asked the Lord to forgive me, and now I need to ask you to forgive me. And praise God, we get to move on from that. Done. But there are times where someone says, yeah, I'm not willing to repent. I don't know that I have anything to repent of. I just want to be happy. I just want to do my own thing. Stop trying to tell me what to do. Mind your own business. And that's the case. Then you take two or more with you to talk to this person. Hey, uh, for me, it's generally the deacons of our church, so I'm meeting with a, a lady. I'll have a couple of ladies in my church, usually my wife and another one of our ladies. Hey, here's the issue. Here's the problem. We're asking you to repent and make that right. Been times where people say, I don't care what you say, I'm not going to repent and make it right. Okay, then, I'm going to have to ask you to no longer attend who we call a Baptist church, and I'm going to let our church members know that you're no longer a member of our church until you repent of this sin and make it right before God. In the history of our church, that's happened like three times. And generally when that happens, we'll call a meeting of our church members at a 4 o'clock, usually on a Sunday afternoon. Again, we don't want to embarrass people. And uh, Hey, first-time guest, I'm glad you're with us here today. We have a, a church member who's addicted to cocaine, and uh, we're going to kick him out of the church tonight. But thanks for being here. Um, I don't think it's appropriate. Again, when it says tell it to the church, who's the church? The church is saved, baptized, committed people that walk with Jesus. And so for me and my interpretation, the interpretation of our church is that's church members. Four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, hey, look, here's the situation. We name names, we call out situations, and it is what it is. And if that person refuses to repent, we treat them as an unsaved person. Now, some people might use harsh words like excommunication or things like that. Or if you see them at the store and you're walking down the same aisle, turn around and go the other way. That's not how you treat an unsaved person. You pray for them. And when you see them, you let them know, I'm praying for you that you'll get saved. And we can no longer... Hold the opinion that this person is a saved person because they have rebelled against the grace of God not once, not twice, but three times. And Christians don't do stuff like that. And so, again, seems harsh. That's what the Bible says, though. Turn it over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're almost done here tonight, I promise.
First Corinthians chapter five. So mind you, the church of Corinth was a mess. It was the most carnal church in all of biblical history that we know of. Of all the churches that, that Paul was ever involved with, it was the, had the worst track record for open, unrepentant, rebellious, wanton sin against God. First Corinthians chapter five, verse number two. Let's back up to verse number one. First Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5.1, it's reported commonly that there's fornication, that's sexual sin among you, and such fornication is not so much as named against the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. So again, we're talking about not just sexual sin, we're talking about incest, and he says, this is so bad that like unsaved people don't act like this. Verse number two, and you're puffed up and have not rather mourned, and he that hath done this deed might be taken from among you. It says, uh, for verily as an absent in the body, I'm not there, but I'm present in spirit, I've judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What he's saying is that we're saying this person's no longer a believer and we're turning them over to Satan so that Satan would basically make their life so utterly miserable that they would come to faith in Christ. That's heavy. But please understand, that's how seriously Jesus takes the holiness of his church. It's that big of a deal. Your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Again, that's why, again, churches can't turn a blind eye to little sin or it wasn't that big of a deal or it's not so much gossip. No, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened for Christ. Our Passover sacrificed unto us. Therefore, let us keep a feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of the malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Hey, this sin that's taking place in the church, you shouldn't even be around these people, much less having them in the church. Yet not all together with the fornicators of this world or covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for they must need go out of the world. But I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or idol, idolater, or railer, or drunkard, or extortioner, with such an one not to eat. Like, Paul is beside himself that this person is still in the church. And, and secondly, he's like, I told you that if somebody's living this way, don't even eat lunch at the same table with them. And you go, wow, that's really harsh. Sin's terrible. It destroys everything. Holiness is a requirement for Jesus' church. And so sometimes people say, well, pastor, do you really think that everybody at our church is perfect? I don't think that anybody at our church is perfect, the pastor included. But trust me, if, if there's anybody in our church that's living in wanton, rebellious sin against God, we're going to have a sit down and talk about it. Simple as that. And again, if you're a member of our church, just know this, you place yourself at a higher level of accountability and you will be church disciplined according to the scriptures. And I don't say that because I'm mad or I'm trying to show you who's the boss. I'm saying that because I love you dearly and I want to see you make things right in your life and see God's blessings, not God's chastisement. But here's an interesting thing. These are the people that are part of the church. 
those that have been saved and baptized and committed to the body. I can't kick somebody out of a body that they're not a part of. And so if somebody's just a casual attender of who we call a Baptist church and they're in wanton, rebellious sin, yeah, I'm going to have a conversation with them and, and, and shoot them straight, but I can't kick somebody out of a body that they don't belong to. And so by being a member of a church, you place yourself at a higher level of accountability to be accountable to the body. And again, it goes on in 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, not after the tradition of which you received of us. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14. If any man obey not our word by the epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Again, the idea here is if somebody's walking in sin, we withdraw from that person. Hey, come over, we're going to grab uh, some pizza and watch the game. I'm sorry, I can't. I love you, brother, and I want to see you make your life right with God, but until then, I, I can't spend time with you. I'm praying for you that you'll get saved. Oh, I already am saved. Then I'm praying that you would act like a Christian and repent of your sin. But please understand that our bond is in Christ, and my, my loyalty to Christ is much higher than my loyalty to you. And it's interesting, sometimes people that don't understand how the church works don't get that. Sometimes people are part of our church body for a while, and they're committed to the church, and then they decide to not commit to the church anymore. And, oh, we should all still get together and hang out. And what are we going to talk about? The fact that you're living a lifestyle of sin that rebels against God, and we're trying to walk with Jesus? Like, what do we have in common? If we don't have Christ in common any longer, what common bond do we have? And so sometimes people are like, well, I thought we were friends. I thought we were brothers and sisters in Christ. I wasn't trying to be your buddy. I wasn't trying to be your pal. I was trying to be a good brother to you. And you said that you don't want to be a part of the family, and we don't necessarily have a bond any longer. Again, that sounds harsh on the surface, but at the end of the day, I'm trying to surround myself with Christians who want to walk with Jesus, not Christians who want to live for the world. And so when it comes down to church discipline, we utilize church discipline for the good of the person being disciplined so that they can be called to account for what they've done wrong. Again, we never do church discipline to embarrass someone, to shame them, to make them feel terrible. But again, the Bible says you call somebody out for their sin, they should be ashamed. The whole purpose, again, get this. This is the same for discipline if you have children. I want you to get this. The goal of godly discipline is always restoration. Please understand that. The goal of discipline is always restoration. I don't spank my kids because I've had a bad day and I've had it up to here with you. That's ungodly discipline. That's sinful discipline. I don't call somebody's name out because they really chapped my hide on the things that they said about me and said about this church, and we're going to let them have it. That's ungodly discipline, and that's sinful. We discipline because we love. I'm doing it for the good of the person who's being disciplined. We do it for the good of the other Christians that they might see the danger of sin. I'm telling you this, when I found out that Frank had had an affair on Judy and was living with another woman and the whole church knew about it, I thought to myself, I wonder how many other guys tonight decided that they wanted to get rid of their girlfriend too. Like, that ain't going to be me up there, that's for sure. That's the idea. 
hey, if there's something right in my life, I want to fix it so that my name's not the one brought up before the church. And please understand, if you decide to, to gossip about things like church discipline, oh, can you believe that this happened? Man, that's a sin as well. You're going to be called to account for that. Because the, let me just say this. For rebellious sin in the life of a Christian, there's a zero-tolerance policy in Jesus' church. None. It, it has to be holy. And again, that's why we see churches imploding left and right in the world today because there are churches that, first of all, were not built on Christ and they were secondly built on carnal desires. And from pastoral leadership all the way down, scandal after scandal, inappropriate relationships, immorality, left and right. Why? Because sin was let go unchecked. We also do it for the health of the church as a whole. Again, you saw Paul said in 2 Corinthians, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. All it takes is like two people getting sideways and churches split. All it takes is one person spreading gossip and it spreads like wildfire. All it takes is one person having a sideways attitude and that grows. Oh, I can't believe that the church doesn't sing that one song that I used to like. Yeah, me too. Oh, I was talking with Sally about that the other day, and she said that John's never been in a church that doesn't sing, you know, Amazing Grace at least twice a month. And yeah, I think we should go and talk to pastor about that. No, I think you should, like, start a petition. What? No. Come on. Again, once sin enters into the church, it hurts the whole body. So I'll just say this, and I'm going I'm to move on, okay? If you are living in sin against God, you're hurting Jesus, and you're hurting his church. Knock it off. Okay? And sometimes people say, well, well if you're going to be that hard on me and hard on sin, you know, I'll just go to a different church. You are a roving cancer with your sin. You can go and infect another church, but you will still continue to hurt Jesus and still continue to hurt his church. Just repent of your sin. Because it hurts everybody around you. Next, we... Practice church discipline for the health of the church as a whole, but also for the corporate witness of the church. How shameful would it be for somebody to show up here on a Sunday morning and go, oh my goodness, that guy that's leading music up there? I saw him getting hammered on Friday night at a bar. Oh, that guy that's playing on the, in the music team. Man, I work with that guy. He's got the filthiest mouth of anybody I know. And what does that do? It hurts the witness of our church. It's shameful that the people that call themselves the body of Christ would be so flippant with sin that it hurts the witness of the whole body. So we practice church discipline when things like that happen. We do it for the glory of God as we reflect his holiness. The church is holy as God is holy. We're not perfect and we won't be till the day we get to see Jesus face to face. But we don't turn a blind eye to sin. We don't sweep things under the rug. We deal with things head on even when it's uncomfortable and difficult. When issues of church discipline come up, I, the first men that I talk to in my life about it are our deacons. Hey, just want to let you know this is a situation that's going on and we might need to progress to stage two of church discipline. And we, we all three of us, we pray and we seek God's wisdom as to how to best deal with the situation. And I listen to a lot of counsel. When we talk about different scenarios and ways that we're going to confront sin. But the fact of the matter is, is the church is holy and, and, and or Jesus is holy and we have to be holy as well. Final thought here tonight is that the church is a family. 
Again, if you've ever been a part of a church that was run like a corporation, you missed out on this part that we're family. Again, I just want to be a good brother to you guys. I really do. And again, when it comes to the family tree, we're all just leaves off the, the branch that is Christ. We're just trying to, trying to stay connected to the vine, John chapter 15. There's no person in this room that's better than anybody else. Again, when we take a look at our text this evening, First John, I'm sorry, First Corinthians chapter 12, it says that the body has uncomely parts, and those are usually the most important parts. Many times the most important people in our church are people that you don't even know their name. Again, if you were to ask somebody like, well, who's the most important person in the church? You'd say, oh, the pastor. Lies. Not true at all. So again, when we take a look at this family, we're just all in this together. We have different roles and functions that we perform. Again, just like a body has different parts, we use those different parts differently. But we all have a role to fulfill. God is our Father. Jesus Christ is our brothers. And you and I are brothers and sisters in Jesus. That's how this works. And so I ask you tonight, how's your relationship with the family? Again, I get it. Some of us are different than others. That's fine. But we still have a role to fulfill. Some of us are a lot more comfortable finding a seat in the corner and sitting and not talking to anybody. I get it. But I got to do what's best for the family. And my family needs me. Please understand this when it comes to the body of Christ. It's a a beautiful thought and a scary thought at the same time. God wants you to be a part of the body of Christ because he loves you and he knows what's best for you. But please understand that God doesn't need any one of us in the body of Christ. The church has been around for 2,000 years and it'll last for another 2,000 if Jesus doesn't return and it doesn't hinge on whether or not you and I do our part. But please know this, if you decide to be a part of this body of Christ and you just want to kick back and put it in, in, on cruise control and coast, you're just hurting the rest of the body. Somebody has to pick up the slack. Somebody has to, to take over your part. Other people have to give because you don't. We can't support as many missionaries as we should because you don't want to give to missions. We can't be as friendly as we could be because you don't like talking to people. It just hurts everybody. And again, you might say, well, I'll find a different church then. That's not the point. The point is to fix what's broken in us so that we can be used for the greater glory of God. Look, the whole point of being a Christian is I want to be better than I can on my own with the, the Spirit of God inside of me. I want to be greater than I can be on my own. I want to be a part of something that's bigger than myself, the body of Christ. This is family. And again, I'm not perfect. If I've done anything wrong, please let me know. I want to make it right. That's my heart. Because I want our church to be healthy. Because you know why? Healthy things grow. And I'm not talking about numerically. I'm talking about spiritually. We'll be more like Jesus if we're healthy. But if somebody's not healthy, great. Let's help you. I want to help you. That's what the church exists for. Tonight, I'm just going to ask you this. Would you just check your commitment on to the body. That's all. I realize that, the, that people at different times are trying to find out what, where's the right church for them, is this a church they want to be in, things like that. I get it. I'm not talking to you necessarily, but at some point, you got to say, this is where God wants us to be or it's not. If it's not, you need to find where God wants you to be and jump in with both feet and don't look back. But how's your commitment to the body? Again, our core values sum up kind of what it means to be a member of a church. Do you love? Do you pray? Do you give? Do you serve? Do you invest? Or do you just take? And again, if you just take, I'm not, I'm not downing you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just saying I've been there before. 
And it's kind of frustrating because we were created to be a part of the body of Christ and to serve. Most important thing in the world, if you're here tonight, tonight, you don't know for sure that you're saved. You need to be saved tonight. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He died for your sins. Put your faith and trust in him and repent of your sins and you can be born again. And then you get the benefit of being a part of the greatest organization ever created because it was created by God himself, the local church. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.